all listeners and welcome to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are the Geek Show's podcast dedicated to movies either starring by or about pop stars. And this month is our Oscars month. As ever, I'm Graham. I'm your host. I also write for the Geek Show and contribute to Horrified, the British horror website, as well as make films in my own right. But I'm joined this week by... I'm Cliff Barnes, host of the Devil Times 5 horror podcast, so uh, doing a a podcast about Chicago is completely out of my uh, normal comfort zone, but you know, I love musicals, so... Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say in my intro, we might as well jump in now. I was gonna say in my intro, you were last on for um, El Manners, Manners. Plan B's film. Uh, You are, as you say, host of the Devil Times 5 horror podcast. This is dynamiting your public image isn't it <laughs> i don't mind I, I i don't mind people knowing that i like all sorts of different films um this is probably one of the more mainstream things in my uh you know no that's not that's not strictly true my say my top 20 films ever is mm. a, it's probably quite mainstream come to think of it but i suppose when it comes down to it a good big budget hollywood film is gonna be good um a good one i mean not the majority of them by any means but the ones i like obviously you know you you can't get away from it not everything can be you know some low budget european dark (laughs) misery fest not necessarily going to be the best films ever much as i wish that jean rollin had directed this he didn't oh i'm glad he didn't i don't (laughs) like jean I can't. I mean, it would have no energy. Let's face it. I think that's I don't fair. Like yeah. I like films that are kind of dreamy, so I like his films. But this is yeah, this is not that. It would not work. No, because this was a massive success. I remember that. Did you see this at the cinema when it came out? No, I didn't see it till um, six years ago. Right, right. Because I remember this vividly when it came out, and it was a huge success. It was famously the first musical to win Best Picture Oscar since Oliver, a film which... uh, Which is my all-time favourite. Is it? Yeah. You are unusually attuned to the kind of musicals the Oscars love. Yeah, so so it seems. Well, I mean, I don't remember any uh, Oscars going to The Wicker Man or Dancer in the Dark, but yeah. Maybe, maybe no Oscars, but I would love to see an opening song, an opening number based around The Wicker Man at the Oscars. That would be good. Um, Dance Through the Dark one big at Cannes, didn't it? So, Got the Palm Door, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know. Yeah, maybe award-winning, yeah. Yeah, maybe award-winning. Maybe the award, the award people are right sometimes, but... <laughs> yes. Uh, by the time you... Uh, listen to this listeners you may know if the awards people are right this year or not but we do not as of yet so were you going back to a more innocent time when all you needed to win an oscar was a great story a dream and harvey weinstein vociferously campaigning (laughs) for you yeah um one of the strange things about the i've got the the diamond edition blu-ray which has a very long a uh, very long documentary, retrospective documentary from presumably 2013-2014 when that disc came out. Strangest thing about it is hearing everyone talk about Harvey Weinstein as if he's just some really cool producer guy that everyone loves. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, although he, he did reportedly save us from uh, an earlier version of this, which would have had Michael Jackson playing Billy Flynn. Okay. Um, is that the version with was going to have Goldie Horn starring, presumably Roxy? Yeah, I, I think I think there were multiple versions. I haven't heard mm. about Jackson being linked to that one. That was going to have Madonna as Velma Kelly, which again, oh, right. bullet ducked. No, no, I'd, I'd, that would have been good. Would it? Madonna as Velma Kelly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you are you on the the Madonna is a shit actress side of things? <laughs> the side of things that I think is aligned with reality. Yes. No, it's not. <laughs> She's. Have you ever seen Abel Ferrara's Dangerous Game? In fairness, I have not. That's a future mm. pop screen episode. I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that since VHS days, actually. I have seen some things with Madonna in that have been good. I like her in Desperately Seeking Susan. But yeah. um, I think that the balance of her work is... Um, it's not a great corpus, is it, acting-wise? Um, I think she's better than a lot of people. I don't know. I, th I think that it's, it's, there's just this kind of meme that's been in existence for two or three decades that Madonna can't act, and I don't think it's true at all. It's just one of these sort of collective consciousness things that just has little bearing in the truth. Okay. Maybe I <laughs> fantasised body of evidence. Maybe that didn't really Well, I haven't happen. seen body of evidence, but I hear it's very good. <laughs> From from people I know who've seen it and love it, so you know, I, and I trust their judgment because I, I don't know. Maybe it's my, maybe it's because I'm a horror fan. I've got different standards. Well, <laughs> what constitutes good acting? <laughs> <laughs> Chicago, though, very good acting, I would say. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's not. Um, it's, it's not what I watch it for, the acting as such. Um, I think Richard Gere's a little bit eggy. Um, John C. Riley is probably the standout. I think oh, he's great. Well, John C. Riley's wonderful in everything, I find. And uh, Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones, both absolutely fine. But, I'm, you know, going back to Dancer in the Dark, there's no Björk-type performance here, is there? It's, it's, <laughs> but then that comes with the storyline, even though it's, it's got like a, a hanging in it and, um, you know, it revolves around murderers. Uh, it's probably one of the fluffiest musicals that I love. It doesn't feel like it's put you through the grinder in any way. It's all quite lightweight. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's not got a big emotional heft. I would say and that. I, I would say fair, that I was. Yeah. I would precede this by saying by saying, "fucking five star film in my book. It's amazing. Mm. I love it. I couldn't get the songs out of my head after rewatching it last night." But I do think it's a bit lightweight. I think that depends on whether you're measuring it by like Hollywood musicals or by your DVD collection, though, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, by, by my DVD collection. Yeah. By Hollywood musical standards, this is <laughs> this is pretty dark. I mean, you compare it to a recent musical hit like The Greatest Showman, which is actively running away from anything slightly dodgy about PC Barnum, and this is a very different proposition, I think. Um, yes, I mean that's true. That's true. But 
so I've only seen the film three times. Like I say, I first watched it about six years ago. It might even be more recent than that. I don't know where I'm getting this six years ago idea from. I have a feeling it was two or three years ago. Okay. Um, probably because I spent so much of uh, my life avoiding big Hollywood movies. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I think one at one point in the last few years, I thought, hang on, I really like, really like a good musical. Yeah. And so, you know, the, even like something like, Oh, what was it? Calamity Jane turned up on iPlayer. And I thought, oh, I've never seen Calamity Jane. I'll give that a go. And, you know, I like, quite like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm just feel like I should investigate more, which is why I then, you know, decided to give Chicago a go. Brilliant. Loved it. Five stars. First time I watched it, which never happens. Films tend yeah. to build on me over several watches, but that was, it blew me away. And watching it last night, got about 20 minutes in before I thought, Oh, I wonder what it's like on stage. I wonder if wonder if you can see it in the West End. And there's actually an international tour uh, doing the UK leg uh, at the moment or just about to start. And they're in my part of the country uh-huh. in but three weeks' time. So I now have tickets to go see Chicago on stage. And um, I thought, don't look it up. I thought it might be fun if you would like to guess who the two big stars of the touring production of Chicago that I'm going to see in three weeks' time. Uh, so who, who do you think plays Mama Morton? Well, based on that, like, eyebrow raise, as you said, big stars, yeah. I'm guessing this is not a massively prestigious name. Um, is it, it have, have they been on Loose Women? I would have thought so. Do you mean on the panel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't think so, but okay. I've never All ever right. watched these women or keep up with this lineup. Um, so no, it's not Judy Love or anyone like that. Ah, uh, right, right. Um, no, I can't think. Okay, it's Sunita. 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 Wow. Um, <laughs> and um, Billy Flynn. Do you want a wild guess at Billy Flynn? See. Time was, if there was a big musical tour, I would have just said John Barrowman, but uh, he's... Of that ilk. All right, in that vein. Yeah, go go uh, back a bit further. I'd say about 10 years before John Barrowman. The age before Barrowman. Who was filling the Barrowman niche, so to speak, back then? Um, so we're talking someone from the 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I want to say Julian Clary, but I don't think it is Julian oh, Clary. I nice. don't think that's right. No, uh, Darren Day. Darren Day, okay. Darren Day. <laughs> Very much on the other end of the sexuality spectrum, really. The one who has maybe an excess of Oh, but Darren Day, the most manly man ever, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm seeing Sunita and um, Darren Day rather than Richard Gere and um, Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah. Yeah, which so pop screen the the show where you uh, talk about films be, that because they've got a pop star in it. Yeah. Queen Latifah's the only one in this, and she only get one one song. But what a song! Yes, what a song is is a good one. Yeah, um, one of the best ones. It's fantastic. It's just, I think it appeals to me particularly because it is just one extremely long innuendo 
And I feel that when you're watching a Best Picture Oscar winner, the spirit of Frankie Howard is very rarely near the <laughs> films, but that has it. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a great song, but it's very strange that Queen Latifah being the only professional musician in the cast only gets the one song. There is another song that got cut, um, which is on the DVD, and um, it's a good one. But the reason they cut it is because it's more, it's filmed more like a traditional musical number, as in Velma and um, and Mama Morton are just having a chat and they start bursting into song. Mm. So it didn't fit in the what they call the vaudeville style of the rest of the film. Yes, and I think we need to talk about that because that is one of the things that is interesting to me. Because obviously, during yeah, Gold- but before we do that, this this film, this uh, song that was cut, does mm. have the. Uh, the significant the significance the the well it rhymes in one lyric rhymes snot with twat it <laughs> does yes and that that line was so scandalous that bob fossey not known yeah. as a prudish man uh, <laughs> insisted that it be changed for the original production yeah so which is pretty hilarious i think crotch with watch or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you don't don't get to hear twat pronounced twat very often. I can think of Chicago and Cannibal Ferox. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's thrown me. I did not think we'd be bringing Umberto Lenzi into this podcast, and, and so early as well. Well, you know. <laughs> um. Yeah, so shall we start at the beginning? Uh, Let's start at the beginning, yeah. Vaudeville, Vaudeville, yes. Yeah, because we first see one of those great old musical openings with the big backstage tracking shots as Velma Kelly is going on stage as part of the Kelly sisters double act, but there is one Kelly. And That's the song, uh, All That Jazz, which was later used for the title of uh, Fosse's semi-autobiographical uh, 1979 musical. Now, like uh, any right-minded person, I hate jazz. Um, <laughs> and when a few lines in, they use the word whoopee as a 1920s euphemism for sex. Mm. I mean, I should hate it. I should hate it. It's, it's jazz and they're using awful... awful slang terms like that but no it's so good musical jazz jazz in musicals i think is more palatable to me because there is absolutely no danger that anyone's going to go off on an extended saxophone solo that's very true yeah yeah um when was saxophone invented was it the 30s Oh, I don't know. That would explain why it's all over yeah. at that point, doesn't it? I think I worked out that I was not one for jazz when I was listening to one of Ornette Coleman's jazz funk fusion albums, and all I could think was, that band's really good. I wish the saxophonist would shut the fuck up for long enough to <laughs> let me hear them. Yeah, the saxophone was invented in... In the 1840s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, close. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Mm. Um, but that introduces that concept that I was interested in, because even though you've got, um, is it, I, I can never remember whether it's diegetic or non-diegetic, but it's got the actual music being performed on stage. So that's diegetic, yeah. 
that's diegetic. Yes, one day I'll get it into my head. And normally I disapprove of that in musicals, which is why I don't really like cabaret, because apart from The Future Belongs to Us, that's what it's called, mm. uh, all the songs in it are performed on stage. They, uh, they, they don't really move the plot along. They're, um, they're, they're just performances. But um, what Chicago does so well is uh, because of the way that a lot of the performances like this are uh, kind of in people's heads, it's mm. what they, they wish they were presenting to the world or it's what they're thinking. It does move the plot along or at least develops their characters all the way throughout. And um, yeah, I mean, I've, have you ever seen Chicago on stage yourself? Never have, no. No, so this whole idea that it's a vaudevillian musical rather than a kind of uh, narrative one is mm. something that's really intriguing. Apparently, all the you know the songs are all performed to the audience as if they're you know performed on stage, and somehow the plot is told through that device. So it's right, intriguing. But you know, not having seen the uh, stage show, I don't have. I'm not able to compare the film to it. Uh, mm. But that means I can take it on its own merits. And that is, it, it interests me because you have that, as we said, that long gap in between Oliver and Chicago when there was no musical win of, of the Best Picture mm. Oscar. And that was also a gap when musicals as a Hollywood film genre fell from favour. And people, I guess, just stopped accepting for a while that contrivance that you can be watching a film and someone will just start singing and that's it, that's the film. Nowadays, it seems to be back in. I watched Steven Spielberg's West Side Story and it is... Have you seen that yet, by the way? I can't no, remember. not yet, no. no. One of the things that interested me in that is how insistent he is that these characters are really singing and dancing, that Maria opens her window and goes out onto the balcony because she has heard Tony singing Maria. Um, So it has none of that fantasy element and it, it works very well. But I think back in 2002, when there weren't any musicals really being produced, um, that would have maybe been a bit harder for audiences to swallow. In the documentary where I can't remember if it's Rob Marshall, the director or someone else um, talking about that, you know, that, that style, mm. um, he, someone does actually say uh, having it all happen in the characters' heads as fantasy sequences lets the audience off having to, you know, take that kind of suspension of disbelief that people just suddenly burst into song. Yeah, and it's true. And you, you, the musicals nowadays that don't work are the ones that insist on naturalistic cinematic grammar. I mean, we have done an episode on cats, and I don't want to rehash that, but part of what is insane about cats is that they are using sort of handheld cameras and natural light and photorealistic CGI fur for a musical that is about talking cats. I thought you were going to say for evil. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> a long two hours, that film, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Even though some of the songs are catchy, it's just terrible. Isn't so it amazing, bad. though, how it never gets to that point where you accept what you're seeing? Like, you first see those cats and mm. you think, this is freaky, but I'm going to get used to it at some point, and you never do at all. 
Yeah, uh, much like um, you think, well, this this is bad, um, but I'll get used to it after a while, and you don't. It's just, it's just, it gets worse. It's so boring. I don't know how it never becomes funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got James Corden in it. Maybe that's why it never becomes that's funny. That's why it never becomes funny, yes. Mm. That, that is a lucky, lucky thing, isn't it, that this musical was made before... Predates James Corden. <laughs> yeah, because nowadays every musical has to have Corden in it yeah. for some reason. But uh, back who, in who would he play in, Billy Flynn or um, Amos? Oh, I don't know. I mean... The logical choice would be Amos, but I've just got a horrible flash in my yeah. head of him playing Dominic West's role. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. At least, well, at least he's killed off at the start. In fact, <laughs> well, it is normally uh, a fleeting cameo that Corden gets. It's the way that Hollywood says, "Yeah, we could easily leave Corden out, but we're going to push him in your face anyway." <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, he's not in it, fortunately. He's not um, in it. Yeah. And one of the things that um, people, because this isn't universally loved, this film, one of the criticisms of it is that the choreography is kind of lost uh, in the filmmaking. Like, this is obviously from people who've seen it on stage and think the choreography is wonderful. Presumably, mm. that's Bob Fosse's original choreography rather than Rob Marshall's choreography. That Large parts of it are, yeah. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it's a film. You don't have to show every single leg movement and or shoot everything with a static camera as if you're sitting in an audience, in an auditorium. There is such a thing as editing, and editing, the fast pace of the, edit, of the cutting in this film, is a huge amount of what makes it so exciting to watch. Um, and the other thing is, I was never spatially confused during the dances. I think it actually slightly hmm. gets my wick when people say, oh, Chicago's got that kind of MTV editing. And you think, no, but have you seen all that jazz? All that jazz is so fast cut, it makes this movie look like Gene Dealman. And <laughs> that's, that's Fosse editing his own work. That's what he liked. I'd like to see a Jean Dillman musical. Boy, yeah. I mean, just so that something fucking happens in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why would you put Corden in number? that? Corden's one of the clients, though. Does oh, that change your... Uh... As long as he's the client at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um... So, I mean, it's beautifully shot and edited and uh, the staging of some of the numbers is just so incredible. I mean, um, there, what's it called? Cell Block Tango. Cell Block Tango, yeah, with the, the backdrop that I found to be very Tomb of the Cybermen. That was my main association with it. Okay, I don't know Doctor Who stuff. <laughs> I know, but my, your Doctor Who references, not gonna my audience wash expects with me. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the, so what was the Tomb of the Cybermen? Have they got? Is it Tomb, just a really sparse set? It, it's got like it, it ends up in this it, something exactly like in Cell Block Tango, where there are these chambers, one on top of the other, and the Cybermen come out of it once they're reactivated. Oh, spoiler. Um, yeah, they're not dead, it turns out. Um, 
and yeah, it really does look exceptionally like cell block tangle. But you're right, yeah. it is a great routine. They they can't move like um, the girls in cell block tango. They side men can they? They should. It would be much much slower, stompier number with them. I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How do they speak? Uh, they it, mono, they've got monotone. They've got a sort of a wavery monotone. It's it's quite hard to do. I could do it when I was a kid and uh, puberty had not deepened my voice <laughs> to the appropriate level. But in in terms of being able to impersonate them, they're no Daleks. You know, they don't have the right. anyone can do this voice factor. Because the uh, the melody of Cell Block Tango is takes huge leaps in um, in tone. It's, mm. it's up and down all through the scales. That's, that's my musical expertise done. <laughs> it's got all the notes in. It's the last one. <laughs> uh, but I mean, what a what a banger! It's a great song. It's it's the one that sticks in my brain for you know days and days after watching it. Yes, it's, absolutely. Um, great stompy rhythm. Um, and yeah, I guess the darkest song in it because it's uh, all the all the murderers. Uh, each of them take turn to explain in quite a comical way how they killed their men. Yes, right. yeah, it is great, isn't it? And I think yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones's delivery of the line "It wasn't until I was washing the blood off my hands that I realised they were dead" is mm. just fantastic. Like hammy in the best way I want to say I mean that is nothing but praise it's really go for broke line delivery and it works perfectly yeah 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 um and what's and there that's followed by um uh Billy Flynn's solo number all I care about which coming after that it's like what's this this is just nothing it's it's a forgettable song I can't can't even think remotely what it's like. <laughs> oh, I've no, I've I've had that stuck in my head for a bit. I think there were two things that fascinate me about uh, all I care about. Which, firstly, is the bit where the dancers form the shape of a car and he uses a woman's leg as the handbrake. Which, solid gold. Yeah, you don't mm -hmm. get that in your Lars von Trier films. Well, maybe you do. Hmm. Well, it's the sort of thing he might do. I mean, yeah. It, Strange things happen to women's bodies in the house that Jack built. There's yeah, no I was going to say that. that the leg is still attached to the woman, <laughs> so that that's maybe where the difference. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the other thing about all I care about is the fact that if you saw the song written down, you would assume it was like a dead straight, sentimental love ballad. Uh, and the staging that makes it clear that it is completely cynical and insincere, which I think is great. Uh, in the stage show, it's preceded by a tap dance, which comes much later in the film. So it'll be interesting. Interesting. It would be interesting to know, and I will find out uh, mm. how that works and what how a tap dance works at that point. Presumably, completely different dialogue over it. But, yeah, um, the tap dance feels very organic to that point in the film, I thought. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it must just be, maybe he's doing another example of the sort of thing he does. Yeah. With a different client, uh, which in which case you could, I mean, it's, it's, 
speculation, but in which case you can see why that would have been dropped and moved. But yeah, that, uh, the, sorry. yeah, go on. Well, we should fill that in really because um, the the central pairing of the film is Catherine Zeta Jones as Velma Kelly, who we mentioned, and Renee Zellweger as Roxy Hart. Roxy kills the man uh, she's having an affair with and is taken to prison where through the lawyer Billy Flynn's ministrations she eclipses uh, Velma's status as the most sensational court case in the country and that's the central pivot of the film isn't it it's a, it's a sort yeah. of it's basically one of those old-fashioned showbiz musicals about the new star usurping the old hand, except instead of it being a stage production, it's a series of murder trials. Yeah, and reading up on the um, the background of it, the, mm. based on you know the play it was based on in the thirties, um, which was written by. A journalist who's basically Mary, the Mary Sunshine character in the in the film and the, the musical. Uh, she was one of many um, sub story writers for the papers who would support the defendants and yeah. you know make celebrities of them by yeah writing all the sordid details of how they came to murder who murder their victims. Whereas the, uh, the there was another. Um, strain of newspapers that would tend to side with the prosecution. Mm. So, and we, so we've got Mary Sunshine. She's obviously on the um, yeah the defendant side because yeah. they're after this this kind of sensationalism and um, you know murder sells papers. One interesting grace note about that, and the film doesn't dwell on it, but I'm happy it's there just because it's. I just found it interesting, is that it goes along political lines. Mary Sunshine is on Roxy's side, largely because her paper is, as she says, is dry. dry. It supports prohibition. Mm. So she can use these stories as examples of people whose lives were ruined by speakeasies and liquor and jazz. And I mean, I'm, I'm with her in a crusade against jazz, obviously. <laughs> oh, you know what? I didn't make that connection. I was just thinking about that today. Well, mm. I, like it's, it's kind of struck me as odd that the sensationalist pro-murderer Yes. would be pro-temperance as well yeah uh, but yeah it, it makes sense if there's that kind of ulterior motive Mary Sunshine of course played by Christine Baranski who at that point was not terribly well known outside of musical theatre circles now is a, another one of these people who generally turns up in Hollywood musicals she has a pretty big role in the Mamma Mia films uh, and she is just great in this she is, yeah. I, I don't know. Don't think I know her from anything else, though. So. Mm. Uh, I, I won't be. I've <laughs> not rushed out to watch the Mamma Mia films. <laughs> I, I have seen them, but only on the grounds that I do a podcast which covers popular music in films, which, yes, occasionally strikes me as a bad life decision that I made. Mm. You haven't done an episode on them, though, have you? Yeah. We have done an episode on the sequel, as uh, my friend assured me that it was The Godfather Part 2 of Abaduke Box right. Musicals. Okay. Must be one of the episodes I, I skipped. Because, mm. I mean, I just didn't want my ears to be tainted with hearing you talk about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still Mamma Mia. <laughs> I don't like Abba. 
I don't like that, and I don't like the idea of Piers Morgan, Piers Morgan, Piers uh, Brosnan singing. Oh man, I particularly don't admire the idea of Piers Morgan singing. No, yeah, no, no. no. Um, but yeah, I remember when this came out, there was a bit of criticism of Gia's performance, and watching it back, I struggle to quite work out why. I don't really like him in it. Um, mm. I, I think. It, Come the courtroom scene, he's brilliant. But yeah. I think the earlier bits, I don't know, he just, maybe it's one of those things, it's just like, he can't shed the essential Richard Gearness of himself. But that's kind of what like... makes me like the performance in that he's every bit as sort of charming and sort of slick as he is in his romantic comedies. It's just that he's playing a complete bastard. Isn't it? I mean, I've only seen four other films that he's been in. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty Woman, he's a complete bastard. <laughs> American Gigolo. to be a complete bastard? That's the question. Surely. Surely he is. I, I, I have never seen Pretty Woman, but the way that the world reacted to Richard Gere in that made me convinced that he was maybe not meant to be a total bastard. I don't know. Um... I mean, I'm fascinated by the history of Pretty Woman and the fact that, you know, it was written as a really nasty thriller. Yes. And then completely transformed into a fluffy rom-com. Yes. So it's, it's just mental. It's true, um, though, isn't it? When people say that the male lead in a romantic comedy behaves like a stalker, there are cases where that's yeah. probably because it used to be something like Fatal Attraction yeah, yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, or looking for Mr. Goodbar, I suppose, which is one of the other ones that ah. I've seen him in. And Internal Affairs, which I remember being really good. It's mm -hmm. uh, Mike Figgis, isn't it, director? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And did I say American Gigolo? Uh, which you I didn't say American about. Gigolo, but that's great, isn't it? American Gigolo. Oh, I don't think I liked it, but, you know, I was uh, okay. very young. It was probably on Movie Drone or something. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so I was probably 12 years old watching films that weren't intended for 12-year-olds to understand. <laughs> That that's quite cruel, isn't it? To put a film called American Gigolo on and excite the nation's twelve-year-olds, and then have it be <laughs> one of Paul Schrader's claustrophobic examinations of existential guilt. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, mind you, I, I haven't really seen Renee Zellweger in much else. I don't remember anything about Reality Bites, Dazed and Confused, or Nurse Betty. And the only thing I really know her from is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Four. Ah, yes, the career highlights, obviously. Well, I reckon. She's brilliant <laughs> in it. She's genuinely brilliant in it. I do, I do actually. I, I'm not fond of that film, but I do think her final girl act is pretty tight, and I wish she'd had the chance to make a few more horror films before yeah. she became too big for it. Yes. Yeah, and the only other thing I've seen Catherine Zeta-Jones in is, um, is a horror film. <laughs> it's the remake of The Haunting. Oh, Which is not good. No, it's not, is it? No. And yeah, I I found myself reflecting on Catherine Zeta-Jones as I watched this, and I thought I'd forgotten about The Haunting. Maybe this is why I was thinking this, but I thought I haven't seen Catherine Zeta-Jones not work in many things. I'm sure there are things that she's been miscast in, but when I think about her work with Steven Soderbergh and the Coen brothers and in this... I think she's pretty effective in the kind of roles she gets. 
Uh, well, yeah, I've got no problem with her in this at all. Um, mm. She's does, yeah, she she is um, cold. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's part of what her problem is career-wise is that nobody writes vamp roles anymore, but she mm. excels in them. She's an absolute master at them. Um, I was wondering, um, mm. in the scene, uh, what's the song? I Can't Do It Alone. Mm. She's in a stunt double in a few shots there, in a few dance moves, because her hair's covering her face. Yeah. And, I mean, it's only for, like, really simple, like, could you even call them stunts, where, like, she's just, you know, doing a little bit of a hop over a chair. Which <laughs> <So, laughs> I... like, I'm not doing that. Get my, Maybe... get my double in for that. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, she does the fireman's pole bit at the end herself. So, yeah, you know, fair play. But, but I, I'm suspicious. Or it might have just have been like reshoots that she wasn't available for for those just couple of moves or something. Well, could have been. Yeah, yeah. I remember her performing. Was it all that jazz? I think it might have been all that jazz at the Oscars when she was very, very heavily pregnant. Um, and I thought that that takes a certain amount of daring because, I mean, when I say heavily pregnant, I mean, I was literally convinced her waters were going to break like live on right. air in front of an international audience. Uh, but no, nope, went along with it. Uh-huh. But anyway, that's a little bit later because there's um, the next song is We Both Reach for the Gun, which is the most incredible production number uh, of possibly any musical I've ever seen. It is absolutely fantastic and this is part of what I think makes the decision to stage the musical numbers as fantasies work in that you can have this very weird detailed concept for a number where basically you you have literalized the idea of Billy Flynn as a puppet master he is a ventriloquist uh Roxy is his dummy and everyone else is a marionette and you can just cut straight into that and the audience understands it. You don't have to set it up in any way at all. Mm, yeah, it's so good. It's really clever. It looks incredible. Um, the The choreography is mad. Yes. And um, the, the, the bit where uh, suddenly there's a giant Billy Flynn, um, you know, wheeled in the marionette thing is uh, just like that famous scene in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which is <laughs> yes. sure, sure is a deliberate reference. <laughs> well, I don't know, because one thing that I'd forgotten is this was adapted by Bill Condon, who has troubled the Academy before, of course, with things like Gods and Monsters, but has proper horror bona fides. He directed a Candyman sequel in his early career. Right. He's always had, like, I'd say even his, his big Oscar play was Gods and Monsters, which is about James Whale. So he's always had a strong horror influence yeah i mean i've not seen that uh biopic of the late night shock jock james <laughs> whale but yeah <laughs> i always enjoyed his show on itv <laughs> <laughs> yes and, and a moment which will mean nothing to any international listeners we may have but trust <laughs> us it's a good one <laughs> yeah i always like the little uh do you remember he had a little whale logo, little cartoon whale? I never saw it. I, I've seen Gods and Monsters, but I have not seen James Wales's show on ICV, alas. Mm. It was like, it'd, it'd just be appalling these days, I'm sure. Like, it'd, mm. it'd be one of those lot, you know. Yeah. But at the time, it seemed less dangerous to society <laughs> to have someone <laughs> speaking his mind. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of like Boris Johnson. Have I got news for you? It's all fun and games until you realise yeah. the fucker ends up running the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Uh, but they both reach for the gun is absolutely fantastic. And I think the physicality of Zellweger's performance mm. as she plays the dummy is yeah. just brilliant. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, she absolutely looks like she's made of just planks of wood and joints. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting role, isn't it, Roxy? I found myself thinking about her a lot during this rewatch because when I first watched it I, I just found Velma Kelly so magnetic I thought holy shit that's what movie stars are meant to be like but Roxy Roxy is a tough role isn't she isn't she uh in what sense well Velma is always kind of at a level you know, she's conniving. She's not quite as bright as she thinks she is, but mm -hmm. she's still dangerous. And she starts out like that and she ends up like that. But Roxy has moments when she's very cunning and she has moments where she's totally oblivious. She has moments where she's bitterly cynical and she has moments where she's like heartbreakingly naive. You know, she only yeah, has... I suppose there are bits. There are bits where you think, is she like, you know, weirdly written? So you can't mm -hmm. tell if she's thick or not essentially yes. um so yeah perhaps perhaps that's one of the things like i said uh, it doesn't yeah I, I feel it doesn't have this great emotional heft uh this film and mm. perhaps one of the reasons is that it doesn't take you right into her mind you don't really know what she's thinking it could be quite a badly written character or it yeah, it could be a well-written character. It's just that that aspect of of the film doesn't come across brilliantly because yeah, you know, the the focus is all on the song and dance numbers. Um, yeah, I think I think she's yeah, Reddy's always good at it. But um, but yeah, I, I feel I, I think I get what you mean. I'm just not sure it's deliberate. I'm not sure if it's deliberate either. It could just be a prospect, a product of um, how the musical is cut because. Like I say, I haven't seen it on stage, but I know this is like just shy of one hour, 50 minutes, isn't it? Which mm. for a Hollywood musical, that is a remarkably short length of time. It is. I cannot yeah. imagine the stage show is that short. No, no. Well, there's um, there's a good four songs cut from around the middle uh, from the, in the film. Um, are they? I after... only knew class. What are the other ones? Well, no, they didn't film them. Um, yeah. But in, in the stage show, after I can't do it alone, there are three, by the looks of it, uh, completely different songs. Roxy and Velma have another song together, "My Own Best Friend." Uh, then there's something called "I Know a Girl" by Velma, and then Roxy gets "Me and My Baby," um, which seems to be about her pregnancy. Um, there's also another one after "Mr. Cellophane" called "When Velma Takes the Stand." So, ah. um, oh, and also earlier on, Mary Sunshine gets her own number as well. Right. So, yeah, there's five or six songs missing from the film. Um, class, I, I know, Cla oh yeah, yeah, Class comes much later. No, it class doesn't. No. sort of comes... No, 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 Class comes in the same place, sorry. I just yeah, yeah. Cut that bit, I missed it, I missed it on my list, but yeah. It's... Um, 
Yeah, so, so it's about five or six songs short compared to the stage show. It's interesting that I won't, I mean, part of me wonders if maybe Roxy's changes of character seem more logical when it's got more breathing room, but also I don't think it matters. I think Zellweger does such a good job of making this feel like a consistent character who is dumb in some ways, but very, very sharp in others, much as people are, I guess, you know? So, sort of. I sort of feel like she's kind of on rails through it, if you know what I mean. It's... Hmm. You know, I'm not, I, I don't feel like she makes decisions. I feel like she is putting a scene to do what she's doing in that scene. And then yeah. maybe she's got a different motive in the next scene. Um, it doesn't matter. It's not, a, it doesn't kill the film for me at all. It's just, it's just, you know, one of those things that means it doesn't have that absolutely all round brilliance to it that the songs and song and dance numbers certainly do. Yeah, maybe. And fortunately, it, you know, it does rock it from song to song. I mean, mm. Cabaret has very long stretches that are songless. I do love Cabaret, I must admit, but that's a very different way of approaching it. This, the dialogue is absolutely only there to set up the next song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a problem. No, I don't. I mean, no, I not think... with musical numbers this strong. No, no, it just, it, it makes it so entertaining. It's such a pacey film, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, what comes next? Mr. Sellaf. Oh, no, I can't do it alone. Have we talked about that? We we've yeah. sort of discussed yeah, I can't do it alone, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Oh, but the fucking dancing in that one, though. I mean, where she's mm. having to show what she would do with her sister, but on her own. Yes. There's some great moves. Some very original yeah, choreography and that. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Cellophane. Uh, this was this song Oscar nominated. I feel like feel like it was the one that people would go, oh now that's that's a good one. Because but that that depends, doesn't it, on Academy rules? Because my understanding is only a song that's originally written you're, for a film. Yeah, you're right. Mm. That's why that's why um uh Kendra and Ed wrote an extra song for the end credits. Oh, right, is that what it is? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, was gonna nominate it, yeah. Who, who could forget Song from the End Credits for Chicago? <laughs> the classic. It's a good number. song. You wouldn't know it was written, you know, 30 years later. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's great. I just mainly associate it with, you know, cinema seats banging upright. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Never, never leave until the uh, final production logo. Yes, I think Never, if, uh, uh, if Marvel have any effect on cinema that everyone can agree is positive, it's that they've normalised staying through the end credits. I was re-watching, this is a tangent, but I was re-watching uh, Dominic Brunt's second film, Bait, uh, a couple of days ago, you know, the, about the two women in Yorkshire who get into trouble with a really nasty loan shark. Um the film ends. That one. Oh, no. it's great. It's really good. It's, it's very, it's very soap opera-ish in the way it mm. looks, but like a really violent one. Um, okay. The film ends with them killing the loan shark. Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but then the kind of epilogue scene. His henchman is uh, standing around outside their shop, and then it cuts to the credits. And at the end of the credits, I don't know if you know Lee Hardcastle, the animator who does all this uh, plasticine, really gory plasticine work. The, yeah. the, the scene continues in 
Lee Hardcastle animation form <laughs> as they attack and kill the henchmen. <laughs> it's such a bizarre way to finish a really violent film, but it's it's so good. That's great. Lee Hardcastle listeners, you may know for uh, Thingu, his mashup of yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. and Pingu. I think that was the thing that first got him attention. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Um yeah, more, more films should have claymation violence in, shouldn't there? There's just that and the happiness of the categories that I can think yeah. of. Um, well, Dominic Brunt's third film, Attack of the Adult Babies, does as well. Okay. Yeah, Lee Hardcastle got involved with that as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now for the biggest tonal change in pop screen history <laughs> as we talk about <laughs> Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> yeah, um... No, I've seen I've seen reviews that say that this is, you know, this is the serious, but this is the favourite song because it's so heartfelt and everything. And yeah, it's great and everything. I've got nothing against it. But come on, there's better songs in it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it largely because of John C. Riley's wonderful soft tube shuffle and vaudeville mannerisms in it, which really do hark ahead to his performances, Oliver Hardy and Stan and Ollie. Oh, right. Interesting. I've, I've kind of... Part of me wants to watch that film, because I'm sure it's good, but Steve Coogan... You're not a fan of Steve Coogan? No. Oh, right. Smug okay. it, isn't he? I, I mean... mean yeah, but he's one of our country's <laughs> great comic interpreters of Smugget, so it balances <laughs> out. Yeah, but he's in real life is as well, though, I think. I, I yeah. like the fact that by now Steve Coogan can basically admit that if he's stuck for Alan Partridge material, he can just, like, open What Car magazine and give his actual opinions on some <laughs> of the funny. articles, and it's basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, I liked him on the day to day. That was it. <laughs> I, I don't like Coogan. Um, but you know what? I'm going to watch that thing where he's playing Jimmy Savile. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be because um, <laughs> it's a Jeff Pope <laughs> thing, isn't it? So it'll be very serious, sad face stuff about uh, how the victims have suffered. But with Steve Coogan impersonating a 60s disc jockey in it, which is. Yeah. Could be a bit of a tonal challenge to pull that one off, shouldn't it? Well, it's like Four Lives. I mean, it was really good. It was really mm -hmm. well done. But I couldn't help find Steve Merchant really funny whenever he was on screen playing the killer. Yeah, he's yeah. Just, he is just a funny guy. Yes. So, <laughs> and I, I mean, it's, it's take on Stephen Port, not unreasonably, was that he was a fucking dope. So... Yeah. It, it can't really use, oh, this is a very serious story about a very dangerous man as a defence when it's like, yeah, he, he was dangerous, but he was also thick. I mean, literally one of his fake suicide notes that he wrote for his victims said something like, please do not suspect the man I went home with last night. Mm. Not yeah, talking about yeah. Hannibal Lecter here giving the criminal genius stakes. I was thinking where all this ends, it's going to be like, are they going to get Andy Zaltzman to play Fred West or something? You know? so. <laughs> That'll be it, though, isn't it? In the 90s, comedians had to write a boring novel to be taken seriously. <laughs> now they're all going to be playing serial killers. Yeah. I can imagine that, actually. Andy Zaltzman, I don't know, 
Joe Brand as Fred and Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Carr is the Boston Strangler. Would he? Is he Boston Strangler? Did, did the Boston Strangler ever get caught? Oh, was, was that Richard Ramirez? Uh, Richard Ramirez definitely got caught. Boston Strangler got caught, wasn't it? It was uh, Albert DeSalvo, I think his name was. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he was played in the... By um, Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Carr not, uh, not, not quite like, <laughs> quite like <laughs> Tony Curtis. He's never been called our generation's Tony Curtis. <laughs> he hasn't, no, no, no. no. Anyway. What are you talking about? We were talking about Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I, I really love all of those sort of old-timey musical dance moves that he pulls out in that. And I do find the song quite affecting. I think I get what you mean. It is a standard critical feint to take the one that is mm. most overtly serious and say it's my favorite it's like all those yeah, people yeah. who think empire of the sun is the best jg ballard novelist <laughs> like it isn't it's just the one that you don't have to wrestle with yourself about whether or not you're reading a science fiction novel yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely um i mean yeah it works. It's, it's, it's an interesting change of tone change of pace Mm. And um, yeah, I like it. And it is it's definitely growing on me, you know, having watched the film three times now. It's growing on me. But it'll never, it's no, we've both reached for the gun. It's no cell block tango. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. pretend, don't, no one should ever pretend that Mr. Cellophane is the standout highlight of the whole film. Anyway, then a completely innocent woman gets hanged, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Hungarian disappearing act in the film, and I believe yes. on in the stage show it's the Hungarian rope trick. So I was, if that's true, I wonder why they changed it. Do they just think mm. rope trick is, you know, got connotations of suicide too much and just a bit too much? I wonder if they just worried people wouldn't get the reference. It is kind of, I mean, I got the reference because I grew up reading like magazines with crystal skulls on the front called World of the Peculiar or something mm. like that. But the Indian rope trick is maybe not something that's terribly current now. I suppose not. Yeah, it could be that. Um, yes. And um, again, I mean, it, it comes, it sort of comes and goes that scene without any emotional weight. Don't yeah, I mean, I, I it's think not like the ending of Dancer in the Dark. It's very unlike the ending of Dancer in the Dark, I would say. Yeah, um, but I think it's that's fine because it is there to establish that the stakes are a bit higher. Previously, the county has never executed a woman. And you think they certainly won't execute Roxy and Velma because they mm. are so manipulative and they've got such a great lawyer on their side. And then suddenly someone dies, and not just anyone, but the one person who probably had a pretty good case to get away from the that sentence, and it becomes a bit more real. That's true. Yeah. Um, and uh, then, um, well, this is where Billy Flynn really comes alive for me. Razzle Dazzle. Oh, such a great number. Such a another, wonderful song, I think. Another showstopper. Yeah. It feels like, I don't know if Chicago, maybe all that jazz, I guess, Chicago has never had for me one of those songs which ends up being covered by everyone. 
you know, like the late Stephen Sondheim once said that sending the clowns from a little night music only became a standard because there were big enough pauses in between the lines so that basically any singer can catch their breath while they sing it. Uh, so it ended up being covered by everyone. But I don't think there's one from Chicago, and it strikes me that Razzle Dazzle would be a very good candidate for that. Yeah, uh, because it's... Um... I mean, it sounds like just a celebration of showbiz. Yes. And what this film does so brilliantly, which I think is probably something that you would miss on the, in the stage show, um, is the way that it's cut uh, yeah. with demonstrations of how Billy uses his razzle-dazzle to manipulate the courtroom, the jury yeah. and the judge and the, his opponent, opposing lawyer. Um, which is so brilliantly done. And has got to, surely got to, be an argument in favour of the film over the stage show. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because there are there are little sort of coups de cinema in this, aren't there? Like um, Billy and Roxy being the the scene where Billy is sort of ushering Roxy to the front of the stage, and it cuts to them in exactly the same position in front of the jury. Mm. You can't do stuff like that on stage, or no. at least I can't imagine how you can. Well. Mm. Uh, I mean, the magic of theatre, but, you know, we'll the magic of cinema is more magical, let's face it. I would agree, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've been seeing a few very clever bits of uh, staging in the theatre yeah. uh, in recent years, you know, there's, there's definite ways, but, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible piece, this razzle-dazzle. It's, mm. um, I mean, it's the... the Brilliant kind of irony of saying one thing and meaning another, isn't it? It's, it's a classic. It's a classic device. It, it has some of the most fabulous rhymes uh, in in the entire show. Uh, back since the days of old Methuselah, everyone loved the big bamboozler. <laughs> I think it's a magnificent couplet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Yeah, I haven't really talked about the lyrics that much, but I didn't write, I didn't take notes about many of the lyrics, apart from in Cell Block Tango, a bit that doesn't really translate to British audiences where they start going on about dirty bum bum bum. But, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <Yeah>, fair point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, a great bit, a great bit. What else have I noted down? That the assistant DA, um, the prosecutor in the courtroom scene, mm. uh, it's called Harrison. And he wants to be wants to be the governor of um, Illinois, and whenever I hear someone the, the name Harrison, I just think there was a cat in the local area around me that was brilliantly called. His name, the name of this cat was Michael Harrison, and I was hoping there was a genuine governor, Michael Harrison, but sadly not. So, just wanted to mention Michael Harrison. <laughs> but no, the character is called Martin Harrison in Chicago. So, close, but no cigar going. Oh, dear. Oh dear. Um, I like the instant regret that you exhibited there. I didn't write it down. I just came up with it, and then it was shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, the courtroom scene is great. Um, reminds me of how great the courtroom scene in JFK is. Yeah, it's as good yeah. as that, just much briefer. 
that would be an interesting choice to make into a musical, wouldn't it? Blimey, imagine how long that would be. Yeah. Yeah, it would probably, if anything, you'd shorten it. Yeah, I, I watched um, JFK Revisited at the weekend. Mm. The doc, follow-up documentary with all the uh, important new bits of evidence that have been uncovered since uh, since the early nineties, and honestly, I just wish it remade JFK with that new evidence in it, a new mm. cast of equally starry names. But I doubt I doubt Oliver Stone's got the clout anymore. So. Maybe not. Yeah, that would be fun if JFK became one of those things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it just gets, <laughs> it just remade, gets remade every twenty years or so. <laughs> I'm sure there's a line in, I'm sure Kevin Costner's got a line to that kind of effect in the <laughs> courtroom yes. scene, you know? Yeah. It's like stories that we tell ourselves every you know, few years. Uh, and uh, if, uh, yeah, when, once, the, once, once the current government's no good, just move it westwards, further inland. All that. Ah, anyway, <laughs> off the subject. Um, yes, courtroom. I don't know. There's something like a good courtroom scene, is there? One that's uh, really well written. I, I would say... There is nothing like a good courtroom scene in that I sometimes doubt there are such things, uh, but this works very well, largely because there's more dancing and less lawyering. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, what was that film with, uh, I think it was directed by Fatih Akem, about the woman who uh, her family had bombed in a, in a neo-Nazi attack? Oh, was it called In the in the ah, in the fade, that's the one. Head on is the yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the fade, great film. Um, uh, the German courtroom system is not conducive to good courtroom drama or <laughs> good good placement of cameras for a film. I is imagine what I it from being that. even more bureaucratic than ours. Would that be yeah. fair? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. But uh, it's it's more the fact where all the different people, the different members of the court. Are, positioned in relation to each other it's not good for the drama you know right. it's, no, it's, it's not very confrontational no I and just it, I, I can't think of many courtroom films that I enjoy I often find the courtroom drama is basically saying ah well something interesting's happened before the film started let's chat about it and <laughs> uh yeah but this is just at the end so it's it's fine it doesn't matter I enjoyed it yeah um, and uh, that's kind of gets close to the end of the film, really. It just winds down after that, doesn't it? Because the verdict is given and um, the press move on to a different case that is more salacious yes. than Roxy's. And uh, Roxy and Velma end up relaunching their career as a double act, mm. um, which is sort of, I mean, it's not a knockout ending, but it's had about sort of five or six knockouts throughout the yeah. rest of the film, so I don't mind yeah it feels like there should be something bigger than yeah. a long instrumental and a load of tap dancing but, yes yeah <laughs> but it's a good ending i think i, I think it's, it's, a, it's satisfying all the same and i think it's quite sweet to see mama morton in the audience at the end i would like to think that she keeps in touch with all of the accused murderers she's known yeah. sure she does and um yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a nice, it's a, it's a sweet ending. It's, mm. yeah. Does it need something bigger? I'll tell you after I've seen it live in Crawley. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> See what the original ending's like. So this is, it, it's an interesting thing, this, because some of the casting in Chicago feels like people are being cast very much to the image they had at the time. And I, I do think that Richard Gieber's Billy Flynn is a very clever subversion of the kind of persona that he had at that point. Some of it feels kind of retrospectively interesting. It's like, well, I don't know, was there sort of that kind of murmuring about Catherine Zeta-Jones being a bit of a diva uh, at the time? Murmurings, this... I think, are largely based on her marrying someone famous rather than... Yeah, which was when? When was anything. that? It feels, like it, was... it feels like it was forever ago. It sort of was, really. I mean, they met on Steven Soderbergh's Traffic, which would have been about like 1999-2000 kind of time. So they were already married by the time of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose she does have a bit of a diva rep reputation, I suppose. Um, I mean, I don't really keep up with celeb slebby gossip, so I couldn't really tell you much about what um, the, the general consensus about these people is. But I think, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I kept up with this, but I noticed there was a certain point when... Uh, when I was talking about Catherine Zeta-Jones, where saying, oh, I think you like her, I think she's a good actress, uh, would get you looks after a certain Oh, that's point. certainly true, because, yeah, no, no, that's certainly true, because there was um, her earlier films. I mean, she was, if I, if I try and think what her earlier films were like, all I can picture is the sort of films that Kelly Brook does. Yes. <laughs> and I think that, that maybe is part of it, isn't it? That when somebody who was famous at a kind of tabloidy ITV kind of level in Britain suddenly becomes properly famous, like mm. married to Kirk Douglas's son famous. We really resent that, don't we, as a nation? We hate it. Uh, I think she'd put the work in, though, hadn't she? I mean, she had done the West End production of Chicago. So certainly, you know, from someone who lives or works in London, you see yeah. the posters of a everywhere all over the tube um oh, don't so, get me wrong so I think I, she yearns a place i think it's her image is mostly bullshit it, it bothers me that she has that kind of rep when she's this good but then um you know amanda holden's played either roxy or Velma. i'm not sure which one since <laughs> so you know maybe they just like to go for people with uh you know dubious reputations or maybe they're those people who are just cheaper maybe maybe yeah, yeah. Um, there is one musical project after this that she was talking about. Well, she wasn't talking about it. Steven Soderbergh was talking about it. I don't know like how involved she was in it, and it never got made, and I wish it had, because it sounds like the most insane thing. Steven Soderbergh wanted to do a 3D musical starring Catherine Zeta-Jones based on the life of Cleopatra with an original suite of songs by Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices. Don't know anything about Guided by Voices. I imagine uh, are they one of those kind of they're they're one of those really respected indie bands, aren't they? So they're like probably quite floaty or the mountain goats or, or spiritualized yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, not my kind of thing at all. Um, so I, I mean, the three D Cleopatra musical thing. Yeah. That, but you know, it would have to be. I mean, Candor and Ebb, fucking hell. 
the songs they writ, they, they writ, they wrote for Chicago. Absolutely <laughs> you're, you're incredible. Ernie Wise coming out there, isn't it? The song <laughs> "What I Writ." <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean they're, they're so good, and I can't imagine some dildo from Guided by Voices would. <laughs> that's the problem with modern musicals a lot of the time isn't it is that yeah. this uh, I, I got the greatest showman falls into that trap in quite a, in a, a quite a bit the um attempt to make each song like something you would hear on the radio yes absolutely the present time yeah and that's not good for musicals no i completely I, agree I tend to watch musicals um, to enjoy songs written in a style that I would not be seen dead listening to normally. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> very true, yeah. And by that I don't mean, you know, please write a musical by, please Ed Sheeran write a musical because I want to be able to listen to some songs I wouldn't normally listen to. No, I don't mean like that. I mean like <laughs> jazz, I never listen to jazz. Yeah. Um, Whatever you would describe the, you know, the songs in Oliver as stylistically. I mean, but it's best when they don't have a genre, isn't it, really? It's best when their genre is songs from musicals, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but then you got Dancer in the Dark, which, you know, I mean, it's hardly pop, is it? Uh, yeah. Yerk I think songs in that, but. Björk was maybe at her most pop starriest in the late 90s, but it's still not pop. No. Um, and even like, you know, Rocky Horror Picture, Rocky Horror Show, they're not real pop songs or pop rock songs, are they? They're, they're musical songs. Oh, yeah. All of the rock and roll songs in Rocky Horror Picture Show sound like a bunch of Broadway composers trying their yeah. hand at this rock and roll thing the kids like. And that's great. That's what yeah. it should be like. And Grace and, you know, yeah. everything else I love. Um, yeah, just not not stuff I would listen to. And, um, yeah, modern musicals in there, they're kind of pop. Um, we, yeah, that everything needs to be releasable as a single. Yeah. Uh, it's just... It's not the way, man. It's not the way this should be done. It really bothered me about The Greatest Showman, where it felt like... Do, do you remember that when they had that companion album of pop stars, like, covering all the songs from the soundtrack? And I thought, yeah, you were angling for that, weren't you? You really... Mm. I suppose I shouldn't dislike that so much, because that was traditionally how musicals got known that you know Frank Sinatra or someone would pull one of the songs out and cover it and make a hit out of it but um but those oh, songs true. it always shit. blows my mind a bit yeah. that New York New York wasn't written until 1980 for the film of the same name that's so weird isn't it mm. yeah it feels like it's been around since the 30s yeah the I, I've never watched that film but I should the weirdest thing for me, too, is just thinking that one of those songs that had a standard pulled out of it that everyone covered uh, was Bertolt Brecht's The Threepenny Opera. Yeah, 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 with Mac the Knife. That is a weird mm. thing to happen culturally, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have this murder ballad by a Marxist playwright and let's see if we can get Tony Bennett to sing it. Yeah, or, or fucking worse, Robbie Williams. <laughs> yes, well, that, that, I suppose, has the authentic chill of horror uh, to it, <laughs> I guess. 
uh, but, but it just led to so much terrible karaoke by the sort of men who think you shouldn't sing in public unless yeah. Robbie Williams has made it all right. Made yeah, it acceptable. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'd run a karaoke night and the worst sort of people, uh, those, they're blokes, they will only come up in pairs or as a big three, three or four of them and anything that approaching singing a note in tune, it would make them gay. <laughs> so all of us, <laughs> <laughs> hate that what would be your pro tip what should you sing on a karaoke night what would be a really excellent choice um one of my favorites to do is fuck you by CeeLo green <laughs> nice yeah if you can reach the notes like i used to be able to i don't know if i still can i think i don't know I think in my old age my old age <laughs> i think in my my old 40s um my voice has got a little bit croaky and I can't reach those bloody notes anymore that I could five years ago <laughs> but you know it's a good one when it goes when it works okay oh, or the beautiful ones by Prince from Purple Rain wow there's another one that if you can nail it it's just blows them away you know any closing thoughts on Chicago before we wrap up for the uh for the week Oh, uh, I want to come back and do a little ep extra little postscript episode, mini-sode, where I can tell you all about uh, the, the Crawley production. It's not the Crawley production. It's, <laughs> it's an international production that happens to be stopping in Crawley. That is a very good <laughs> idea indeed, yes. <laughs> um, one, one thing, when I was like comparing the film with uh, what Wikipedia says about the stage show, yeah. Ah, damn it, I spoiled the ending of the stage show for me. I ah. did not know. That Mary Sunshine, um, I mean, I'm sure I would have figured out within five minutes of a, appearing on stage, yeah. but is traditionally played in drag. And at the end is revealed to be a man who becomes Thelma and Roxy's new promoter. Indeed. I distinctly remember Christine Baranski uh, being asked about that. And she said, yeah, not quite sure how I feel about that, to be honest. Right. Uh, what, uh, no, 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 what, in, in case people... Well, in the implication of... being that, that she looks most like a man. So yeah, that her. she's front of the queue when you're casting a woman for a role traditionally played by a drag queen, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. No, they rejected the idea of having that ending early on because they just said it wouldn't work with the uh, the kind of realist, the realistic side of um, the film they're making compared to the traditional vaudevillian yes. uh, side of it as it is on stage. It does sound... So I don't think we've really, you know, apart from the courtroom scene, I don't think we've really mentioned how much I get the impression from what I've read. Um, the what's happening in real life parts of the film are just nowhere to be seen in this, the original musical. Mm. That's all just been added and it surely just enhances it. Yeah, I'd guess so. I mean, Condon is a very good scriptwriter when he's on form. Um but yeah, I, I can't uh, really hazard a guess at that because like you, I, I haven't seen it live yet. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I would love to. Yeah, that's, nice to record a podcast ill-informed, isn't it? And speculate <laughs> about things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. 
And if you want more ill-informed speculation listeners, you can subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash The Geek Show, where you get a monthly bonus episode of this very show. Uh, or just subscribe to our social media channels at TGS underscore The Geek Show. But until next time, I've been Graham. I've been Cliff, Sunita and Darren Day. Here I come. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for more pop screen. Bye.